Hello and welcome to the RPG Concierge, a podcast that explores a new aspect of tabletop role-playing games every season. Being that this is our first season, it seemed appropriate to tackle what might be the biggest hurdle in playing RPGs, the beginning. How do you even begin playing, finding a group, and overcoming the multitude of concerns that every new player faces? We will tackle these topics and more. I'm your RPG Concierge, Finnegan Justice Murphy, and our topic today is Conquering the Ocean of Rules and Info. And joining me today is a very special guest, Jack Hart. Hello, Jack. Thanks for joining me. Hello. I'm really excited to have you on the show today because we we know each other through a mutual friend and we just both happen to be involved in games, but we've never actually played anything together. Despite so... my best efforts visiting <laughs> you. Come on, yeah, let's yeah. play some some TTRPGs. Nah. It's too yeah, late. yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, those are often times when you're in town is when Emma's in town uh, for work and and we often have like crazy schedules at that point. It, you also run games on Friday nights, right? Or something like that? Um, so my current schedule for running games is Mondays, I run uh, Icewind Dell. Wednesdays, I run Mad Mage. And sorry, Saturdays is when I'm running Icewind Dell. And then I'm also running uh, Ravnica a third night of the week. So I run for a total of 17 players. Oh my um, goodness. Nine hours a week, uh, three separate nights a week. And the games are all interconnected. So the players have crossed over. And like, if one player is not working in one team, I can swap them with another player. Um, and they're, they're all working towards the same overarching world ending event essentially Amazing. trying to prevent that wow so that's it, crazy i i'm i'm doing a similar thing with two groups um playing in they're they're in the same setting same timeline they're they're participate or each group has their own uh sort of character arcs and story arcs and things like that but they're all heading toward the same again world ending <laughs> apocalyptic kind of scenario yeah I can't imagine throwing a third party in there. I like so so that yeah, that was that born work? out of bef in the before times, uh, before the <laughs> lockdowns. Uh -huh. My table ended up being eight members because everyone who I invited to play with us said yes and continued to show <gasps> up. That never happens. Yeah, never happens out of the blue. So we we played for about a year. Almost, almost a year before the lockdowns hit uh -huh. live, and then we switched over two weeks before the first California lockdown happened to uh, playing online, and it was just too much for me. Eight people, you know, yeah. doing Discord conversations does not work. Um, so I broke those out into two games and added more people to each game who like were like spouses who were like, oh, I want to play. And it's like, oh, I'm full. But as soon as I was like, oh, I guess I can squeeze you in now. Yeah. Uh, so that, that became 10 players rather than just eight players over two nights. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll run a one shot for some friends online and like post it on Facebook. Hey, anyone want to play some D&D? &D? And like I had a bunch of people respond to that. And I ran two one shots for that. And the people out of that that like I like felt really clicked. I was uh -huh. like, I'll keep on running something for you guys if you're interested. But I don't know. I might just recycle a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so, like, how my three games work from a sanity point of view is canonically the timeline is breaking down. 
So I can repeat things or take elements from other games yeah, that I've yeah, already yeah. like stated and been like, so this is happening again. And there'll, there'll be like players who are like, what? No. And other players <laughs> like, wait, what, what did I miss? And they're yeah. like, this is going to be terrible. It's like, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So just for, since, since hopefully some of our audience are brand new players, just to clarify that the three games that you mentioned are those are modules for Dungeons official, and Dragons official Dungeons and Dragons adventure modules yeah so what that means for our audience is that they are pre-written adventures with plot points and characters and uh, uh, basically story hooks that you can use to get your campaign running and I, I know people who use them to just get things started because the the beginning is often the most difficult thing how do you get your party together how do you how does everyone react together at the table socially like there's a whole lot of uh real world or meta information that needs to get sorted out and so i know a lot of people who use modules because they just don't want to put the time and effort into also on top of managing all of that other stuff inventing brand new things to go along with it yeah that that's very much what led me to running modules was kind of getting uh bored with my own writing Ah, um, interesting. Because the, the bringing it back to the ADD topic, uh, reading a module is very intimidating for me. So I had to teach myself how to prep that essentially, because there there isn't really a guide out there that like really worked for me on just you know sitting down and like figuring out what the bare minimum that I need to read for my players to play through that night is. This past week is a great example of a time where I was like, oh no, they have three quest options. I don't know which way they're going to go. And then like, like reading three adventures in the module and then them doing none of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the crux of running a game, right? Is mm. you, at least in my experience and with a lot of GMs that I talk to, they talk about, you know, prepping and mm -hmm. having all of this stuff ready to go. And then the players get introduced and completely go a different route. What I find interesting about that is that as much as I prepare these stories for my players as options for them, right? I, I'm a, I'm way more of a sandbox style GM than mm -hmm. a, than a on the rails kind of GM. So I prepare things all the time that we never touch on. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is now that I've been running games for so long, I have this catalog of stuff that I can just unpack, reskin and throw into a game mm -hmm. when they do that. So now it's gotten to the point where they go left instead of right. And I had nothing prepped for left and I can still pull something out of my bag of tricks. That's interesting to at least get me through that session. So I can then prepare for whatever's going to happen next. Yeah. That's, that's similar to how I like prepped my original homebrew rolled town uh, that uh -huh. all of this came from is essentially I picked the four cardinal directions and I put something in each one of those directions yeah. you know uh, spent you know a month or so like fleshing out three quests and that that's where it started sure nice um so i want to jump back a little bit we we sort of touched on this a little bit about playing with add that is not a thing that i uh, struggle with and yeah. so i've got a bunch of questions that hopefully will help any listeners who are also struggling with the same issue do you recall when you first started playing 
and can you talk a little bit about what that was like? So the very first game that I played was, I was at a party freshman year of high school. <clears throat> Excuse me. And not many people showed up and my buddy was like, hey, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? I was like, I don't know what that is. Sure. <laughs> or it's like, you know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this party ended up being seven days long of us playing Dungeons and Dragons like eight hours a day for an entire awesome. week. That was my introduction. I hadn't even seen a player's handbook at that point. Sure. It was it was kind of like, what do you want to be? And I was like, a bard, I think. That that's a thing, right? And then the, uh -huh. then someone else being like, gnomes are cool. And I was like, yeah, I'll be a gnome. And you know, it was kind of like I don't know how to fill out this character sheet. And one of the other guys was like, I I got you, and just like you know, jotted some stuff down really quick. And cool. we just like ran from there, you know, very little intro. And that's that kind of informs how I've introduced new players to the game. Great. Um, okay. Yeah, very very much a like like let's hit the ground running. Your you know, oh, questions can come up during play, um, which I think is how I prefer to learn things, you know, just as a player. Like, okay. I don't like having the questions answered before I get to the problem so that I have oh, some context sure. to what the question is, you know? Sure, learning through action rather yeah. than learning through study. 100%, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Okay, so our other topic for today is conquering the ocean of rules. I know that from a new person's perspective, this is something that I've mentioned on a couple of other shows, uh, a couple of other episodes. It's, it's not usually a spectator sport. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for people to have some kind of context to give them an idea of what the expectations are. I know some people find comfort in reading through some sort of rules or some sort of setting or, or something to get context for what they're about to do. But you just said that your first time playing, you hadn't seen a player's guide. Nope. You had no intention of starting to play. Um, nope. So you just dove in the deep end, I guess. Yeah, with no essentially. Yeah. What are, what do you think the pros and cons are of doing something in that style? So from my experience, uh, teaching Teaching people in the way of here is a goal, your character wants to complete it, how are you going to do that? And not giving them the tools to how they're doing that fosters a role play mentality rather than a let's find the rule for it mentality. Oh, um, clever. Okay. And, and so so being a experienced DM, you they can say what they want to do and then you can tell them the rules that apply to that. Right. Sure. So they're so they're not uh, like looking at it like, okay, I have this skill on my sheet. It, uh, how can I use that in the situation? Instead, they're like, okay, there's a wall. I'm going to try to jump it. You know. Oh, and mm -hmm. then as the DM, you can be like, oh, athletics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I love that. I I like that theory. The 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 concept of uh, how to phrase it. Goal oriented thought is different than then I, I I don't know how to phrase this properly, but like when you're looking at your character sheet, seeing what skills you have, mm -hmm. that is different than looking at the problem and trying to solve it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I and, and how one fosters a role-playing mentality and the other fosters more of a, a I'm going to say it's kind of like a video game mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I think the two are similar, but they're not the same. Um, 
like in a video game, there are only certain things that are available to you, whereas in an RPG, the sky's the limit, really. Definitely. Anything you can imagine. Um, to, to give an example of the first quest that I came across this concept of how to teach this way is um, they're, they're playing a pirate campaign, and so there was a treasure map that was being auctioned off at an inn in four hours. I was like, like you know where, where this tavern is, you know it's going to be auctioned off in four hours, but you only have like three gold in your purse at the moment. Oh, How are you going to get this treasure map? That's very cool. So then they've got four hours to raise the money or or figure out a back way in to steal it or yeah you know, or, or talk to someone to, to borrow money or you know yeah yeah oh that's ignore awesome. it and steal a pirate ship and <laughs> go off script. I mean they are pirates, so yeah, you know that's in the cards. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay. When I, when I was first putting this podcast together, uh, I asked a general question to a lot of my, my friends in social media about what would you, what would you, what do you wish you had known when you first started? Or what do you wish somebody would have told you when you first started? And your response I thought was really great was don't worry about knowing all of the rules, that there's so many rules and it's, it's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I guess my question for you to, to go off of that is, do your players still ask questions, whether they've played a long time or not? Yes, definitely. All of them on, all the time are asking questions. As a DM who is running the game, it's great to have other players. Like, like this is kind of counterintuitive to to my point but it's great to have other players who know the rules end up so uh -huh. that and i can be like is this how this works and they can be like yeah yeah that's how that works nice yeah i i also rely heavily on my players during my games as well my experience with games was uh i had not played a lot of dungeons and dragons <laughs> i was playing a whole bunch of other games that are out there um we'll have an entire other episode about games that are not Dungeons and Dragons in case fantasy is not for you. But then this group uh, of a bunch of, friend of friends of mine got together and asked me to run Dungeons and Dragons because they knew that I would run games. And I said, sure, but I don't know much about that system. I'm happy to run the game and I'll pick it up as we go. But I need, I need you guys to also be familiar with how the system works. But even then, we get to points where nobody has the answer and nobody really knows what we're doing. And so we just talk about it at the table. You know, when you get into that situation, it's just whatever feels right, you know? Does this yeah. does this make sense in context? Yeah. And I would also say that to support your concept that knowing all of the rules is not required. For those of you who are not familiar, just about every role-playing book I've ever read, there's a section in the beginning written by the, whoever wrote the game that says, here's how you play a role-playing game. And at some point, if the rules in this book don't work for you, just get rid of them or, or change them or use this book as a tool, not as a not as gospel truth, right? So I thought that was, I think that's an important thing for people to understand that new players often think they're screwing it up. Yeah, 100% screwing it up or you don't know enough about the rules to be able to build an adequate character right even though like the special sauce of pretty much every rpg that i've ever played is the fact 
that it doesn't really matter what it says on your character sheet. It matters what you're doing with your character. Yeah, that's very true. Um, there's a, <laughs> I used to uh, occasionally go play golf with my dad and uh, I am not good at that game at all. Uh, <laughs> like it was just a, a way for me to hang out with my dad and ruin a nice walk through the park. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> The, the thing that he kept talking to me, uh, tr kept trying to instill in me is that um, golf is a game about recovery. Um, and so you're going to have bad shots. It's all about how do you recover from those bad shots. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies to a lot more things in life than just golf. And particularly this hobby, you can have the greatest character sheet in the world and every benefit to you, and you can still roll terribly. And so then it's about, okay, how do you roll with that defeat? How do you roll with that that lost option, right? Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that's where the fun of role-playing games comes in. 100%. And yeah. yeah. Okay. Can you walk me through some of the changes that happened once we went into lockdown and how that changed the way that you run your game and the way that you're, you interact with your players and vice versa? So to start off with, uh, eight players all around a table. Um, we were all using D&D Beyond um, to manage our character sheets already at that point. Um, so switched... for our guests, sorry, D&D uh, Beyond is a website that allows you to host uh, books and character sheets and things like that related to Dungeons and Dragons. And then it also uh, automates a lot of math for you so that you don't have to calculate a whole bunch of stuff uh, occasionally uh you can just click a button and it will do all that for you kind of behind the scenes okay sorry go ahead yeah, no worries <laughs> uh we we switched to using a um virtual tabletop at that point that made it easier and more difficult in a lot of ways one of the strategies that i came up with uh to deal with add at the physical table was to have a player manage uh, turn order. Uh, so when you roll initiative, it's the order in which your characters take their turns. Instead of me being like, okay, it's Joey's turn next. It would be that player who would be like, okay, it's Joey's turn next. Okay, it's it's uh, OR1. I would always give them abbreviation for whatever monster was so that player didn't know what the monster was. Oh, interesting. Uh, and, and I would know, oh, that's, you know, the big ogre or, you know, uh -huh. uh, which, whichever monster was on the field. As soon as we switch over to uh, the VTT, uh, virtual tabletop, the uh, VTT takes care of that. Um, the other thing is I would be able to have many more monster tabs open because uh, mm -hmm. I was running off of a tablet before. So it'd be kind of, I can sure. have, I can have, you know, two monsters before my tablet, like, starts getting confusing <laughs> to like scroll through whereas you know on my desktop i can have you know eight tabs open and like it's just a lot smoother in a lot of ways um but it takes away from the kind of personal touches i feel that the in-person had mm. yeah that's interesting i agree i think that that it definitely takes some getting used to like things like eye contact around a table is really great. It, it helps with communication. You don't really realize how much people use eye contact <laughs> to, as, as cueing, as, uh, uh, as communication, as, as all of that kind of stuff. 
And in a virtual setting, eye contact is not possible. You're either looking at the other person's video, which means you're not looking into your camera. So you can see them in their eyes, but they, <laughs> and they can see you in your eyes, but neither of you is actually like your eye line is not lining up. Yeah, the, the other other big difference is uh, crosstalk. And at a table in person, players can, you know, huddle together and, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. But yeah. if it's over, you know, a digital means, everyone has that at full volume as if they're yelling into the room. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. The other big change for me was in pre-written adventures there'll be something called box text it's what you're supposed to read the players when they walk into a room or you know to set the scene okay i have a like instilled phobia from you know being in elementary school or you know middle school and being called on to read out of a book you know so like I, I hate doing that to this day. So like like box text, like I'm like, oh, that's cool flavor. I'll never read this word for word. So in person, I would kind of do my own take on it. Mm-hmm. But I found it's very refreshing to ask one of the players to read the box text. So I'll, you know, just DM one of the players, uh, you know, set the scene for me, you know. And this, nice. this is what you see. That's cool. Okay, so... Uh, from a new player's perspective that could be potentially overwhelming mm-hmm. um how often do you throw creative control to your players like uh opportunities to set the scene as an as an example well with that it would be the the pre-written thing they would just be reading the script mm-hmm. um creative control to that degree um at the very beginning of my games when i'm introducing the characters it's always what does your character look like you know what are they wearing and then uh, what would anyone know about your character after talking to them for 10 minutes? Oh, um, awesome. And so that's that's the like, like first element of like the world building that the players get to do. And then anything that the characters are building within the worlds. I'm a very big fan of giving my characters uh, headquarters and, you know, customized wagons and airships and you know just ridiculous stuff like that and they're yeah they're almost completely you know anything about that they can change and alter and you know make their own nice uh, one of my players he's the gunslinger and one of his firearms is curse and i've pretty much allowed him to write you know everything about the curse for his gun Awesome. Except for the the max uh, the max thing that it does, I was like, no, 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 I'm writing this because I have something ridiculous that you'll never even consider. Yeah, nice. That's cool. We're gonna take a quick break here to check out some ads from some other really great podcasts out there. Be back soon with Jack Hart to talk about overcoming the mountain of rules and playing with ADD. Welcome to the Annabelle H. Godfrey Historic Estate and Museum. Thank you for joining us on the Godfrey's world-famous audio guide. I'll be your host for the duration of your time here at the estate, and look forward to enlightening you as to the history and unique beauty of Annabelle's eclectic collection of art, antiquities, and curiosities. But before we begin, I must go over a few notices and estate rules. Firstly, 
On the chance that you failed to read the fine print when checking out this audio guide, and are currently standing in the middle of our atrium, waiting for a staff member to come and collect you, this is a self-guided tour. Each audio guide is equipped with a GPS tracking device, which triggers the commentary for the nearest collection item. This provides the dual benefit of a custom experience for you and helping the Godfrey staff locate unreturned audio guides. Many audio guides are discovered abandoned in dark and seldom-traversed corners of the estate, their patrons nowhere to be found. Which leads me to my second point of business. Stay out of the shadows. Thirdly, breaks in commentary as you move between collection items may be filled with historical tidbits about the estate, details about current or upcoming exhibits and offerings, general announcements, or words from our sponsor. Do not be alarmed when these start playing. And no, you cannot mute or skip them. Fourthly, and this should go without saying, do not touch any collection items. This is for your own safety. That's all for now. Shall we begin? The Godfrey Audio Guide is a fiction podcast that blends horror, sci-fi, and art history, both real and imagined, and which guides the listener through the mysterious Godfrey Estate and Museum. Interested in taking the tour? Find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you at the museum. We're rolling. Mark. Hello, I'm Sky, And I'm Ford. Together, we form the writing partnership of L. Skyford. We're excited to bring you Booklandia, a new podcast about books. On Booklandia, we review books, mostly. Honestly, mostly romance books. We'll occasionally discuss book topics, like our favorite and least favorite romance book tropes. Maybe one day I'll learn what a cinnamon roll is. Maybe. Perhaps we'll also dive into my psyche and why I hate the enemies to lovers trope and why it's such a popular one. Is it because you're a robot? Probably. We will absolutely spoil books for you. We will absolutely f***ing curse. And you will leave each episode knowing just how sexy we thought each book was. Did it make us want to get naked? Maybe. I'm definitely naked. <laughs> Probably. So am I. So please join <laughs> us on Booklandia, <laughs> where each book is a whole world to explore. And we're out. And we're back with Jack Hart, talking about overcoming the mountain of rules and playing with ADD. For, for new people who are thinking of getting into this, if they, uh, let's get back to this ADD conversation. Sorry, ADD. I'm all over the place. No, no, that's, <laughs> so am I. Uh, <laughs> but do you have any specific advice for players, for those players who might be coming in? Um, you, you clearly have a lot of experience. You've run it with a lot of different people. What would you tell somebody who's like nervous about that? First, first thing, ask questions. Tabletop gaming is all about having a conversation. If you don't understand something, if you're having difficulty with something, ask the other players, ask uh, whomever's running the game. Mm -hmm. To that point, if you're having trouble building a character, whoever's running the game, normally they're more than happy to help you with that. If not, uh, one of the other players, I'm sure, will talk you through the process. Everyone's there to have friends. Normally you're playing with people that you know. Every mm -hmm. once in a while you will be playing with people you don't. But even in that scenario, I can't think of a time where I've run into whomever who was running the game wouldn't 
be like, okay, let's take the time to walk you through the steps. Yeah. Um, don't worry about reading too much of, you know, any book really just, you know, whatever for specifically D&D, whatever your class and races, that's, that's all you really need to focus on. And you don't even need the book for either of those in most cases. Normally you can find them somewhere online. There's Wikipedia's everywhere about yeah. you know, everything nowadays. Then the next step is there are great YouTube videos made by great content creators right now that can talk you through just about every element of the game at this point. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. The YouTube videos, uh, actual play podcasts are mm -hmm. everywhere now. I think those resources are an excellent way to uh, to get a glimpse at the game. I said earlier that there it's not really a spectator sport, but more and more so, especially with the pandemic, but with everybody having the ability right now to record stuff at home, we're seeing more and more people doing exactly that. So you can watch people play or listen to people play if you have a long commute or something like that to get a little bit of that familiarity. I love that idea. I think that's great. Yeah. For new DMs, um, you, you'll probably think, oh, I need to know all the rules so that there's someone who at the table who knows all the rules. And ultimately, it comes down to you just need to be the authority on the rules. You don't need to know the rules. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? What does that mean to be the authority and not necessarily the expert? Well, ultimately, it comes down to if you have a player who's trying to do something, you just okay. So, so this is really this is really difficult to to like like explain to like a brand new DM. But it's it's like a muscle that you build. You you just like like know like okay, just you know roll something, add something to it. You know that that's almost always the answer. Uh -huh. And it's partially because of a lot of the TTRPGs that I've been reading recently, tabletop RPGs that I've been reading recently, and partially just because like I've become like to the point of like my decisions are so arbitrary <laughs> why that i'll have um the players pitch me what they're rolling yeah. sometimes like yeah. i'm going back to that that wall like like okay how are you going to get over it i'm going to climb it all right what are you going to roll to climb it yeah you know i do that a lot too and i think you start to see a lot of that eking its way into game systems as well um like mm. uh fate for example um you have i think it's like four core stats and no matter what you're doing you say which stat you're using to accomplish that thing so there are things like clever or hasty or uh, uh risky or whatever it's the same with uh blades in the yes. dark it's always the player naming the uh -huh. stat um if you ever want to if you want to play that sometime let, let's do that because I, I it's on my list same. to play and then uh 13th age they totally threw out the skill system and it's all background. So if you want to do something, it's you justifying from like, oh, I owned a tavern, so I know how to take out drunks. Oh, sure. Uh, like, like, so then you you add that role to it. But it, it's not like, hey, I know how to do this one specific thing, but like this job encompassed all these yeah. things. There's a, uh, just to nerd out for a little while on games, there's one that I love uh, called Over the Edge. Um, which is another very similar concept where you have it's like three stats and each one of them gives you a different amount of dice to roll and you 
justify using those stats to do the thing and you can mix and match so you can say you know like yeah. this relates to my core stat and my secondary stat so i'm going to roll three dice instead of just two and and so you the the more creative and clever you can be with the stats you're taking then the more dice you get to roll and and uh rolling dice is fun <laughs> but uh, back back to the the authority uh -huh. statement it really comes down to if your player says that at, and it totally doesn't match like why would basket weaving be able to get you <laughs> over this wall you you can be like like no no my gut is telling me yeah no. yeah um i i do that a lot with my players where someone will ask a question and if i don't know because we're forced to play online i have a really quick access to all of the internet to see what other people mm -hmm. have done you know search through reddit or whatever for, for ideas, but I also will often turn it over to the group as well and say, okay, so this is the scenario we're all in. What do you guys think? How should this work right now and for any time this comes up in the future? And I'm very fortunate that my players are really honest and they play straight up, but I also remind them that if this is the way we're setting the rule now, it will also apply to bad guys. <laughs> so so keep that in mind and that tends to uh that sort of reminder tends to level the playing field in a way that i really appreciate that's how i approach uh homebrew rules and uh really like flexible rules in between editions mm -hmm. for the dungeons and dragons critical hits when you roll a nat 20 on a 20 side die that's a yeah. crit when that comes up something special happens yeah. Every edition of Dungeons and Dragons, it has been a different <laughs> way of resolving that. Yep, yep, yep. So, oh, at my fresh campaigns, when we sit down and the first time someone gets the crit, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Here's how it's been done before. Mm -hmm. Or I have this deck of cards that we can pull from, or there's, you know, a million charts that we could use. Which resolve method would we as a table like to yeah. use? By the way, the bad guys get to use yeah, that yeah. too. I think that's an important reminder um, because it tends to sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it pulls everybody out of the game for a moment, which I think is fine. Mm -hmm. But it also sort of makes people look at it from a more objective perspective, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't think in my personal experience, staying engaged in the game at the table is less important than the story that is told after you get up from the table. Great, that's an excellent point. Can you expand on that? So figuring out how things work at the table and like not explaining every inch of combat. You swing, you dodge, you know, how do you dodge? But the uh, when you stand up from the table and you go to another person who is involved in the hobby and you're like, man, last night my guy was in this epic fight and he was able to get the final blow yeah. on two ogres. That That is ultimately where the fantasy of the game is for me. Oh, nice. Not in the like minutia at the yeah. table. Yeah, I love that. I also think that that ties into this concept that as a player at the table, uh, I got to stop and think about how to how to word this. Oh, we're getting into such a meta conversation here. <laughs> it's like there's the action of the game that's happening. And I think a lot of new players will be concerned that I have to get into character and I have to stay in character and we're going to do this thing the whole time. And I don't know if I can perform for, you know, however many hours we're going to play. Mm -hmm. I can't be on all the time. 
I even have players who have been playing for a long time who are like, I'd rather not be in the spotlight. It's cool with me if I'm just mm-hmm. a wallflower and I'll participate where I can here and there, but I'm more here just to hang out with my friends and play through the story. Yeah. So I think, I think it's an interest. It's a, a really good note for new players to hear is that you are not always on camera and the camera is not always rolling <laughs> in these, in these games. Yeah. That, that brings me around to the dealing with players paying attention aspect of mm-hmm. it. Quiet players. It's is like a, connected but separate like element of it starting with my original point players who aren't necessarily paying attention they they're there they're they're having fun you know uh, they're not distracting from the story if they're not paying attention they they're still putting in the time mm-hmm. you know it it only really becomes a problem if they're not paying attention and they switched to interfacing with the world in a negative way sure. The typical example of that is in combat, where you're going through the turn order and they haven't been paying attention before their turn, and you have to explain the five turns before that. I found with those players, the best way to handle it is to give them something to do during combat. Have them manage some element of combat. Ah, that's a clever, sneaky way. I like that. Or just be okay with it's like giving quick recaps mm-hmm. like like you can you can bust down that recap and make it cinematic as yeah. hell everyone else will be engaged and they won't even notice the reason why you're doing sure. it especially if you know that that player is that player who typically has a difficult time staying focused on what's going mm-hmm. on you know, every time their turn runs around, you do the the recap of everything that happened rather than doing the recap at the end of each individual sure. turn. So this plays into the ADD concept, I think, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. when, when we're talking about going into combat, something that inevitably happens is there is story time and there's combat time. And those clocks Correct. move very differently from each other combat time Mm -hmm. tends to slow way down where a single round of combat might be six seconds in game but around the table it's everybody gets to act within those six seconds so we go one person at a time they do their thing the bad guys do their thing one like everything is really slowed down minutia and it's a hard thing to stay engaged in especially in games like you're running my goodness you've got so many Mm -hmm. players at the table that even if a combat round takes, you know, a one player takes two minutes, you're talking about 15 minutes in between your turns, right? Luckily, my players have gotten to the point where, like, they they know to look and, like, like choose what they're doing before they get nice. there. And with uh, VTTs, you know, they don't have to roll and do the math. So it speeds up combat a little bit in sure. that way. Yeah. But there for a while, that was the struggle of <laughs> five-minute turns. Yep. You know, one combat would take our four hours to get yeah. through. That's something that I've started doing in order to give them some world-building credit, some some uh, mm-hmm. autonomy, I guess, at the table, is after their roles are all settled and everything like that, I will have each player narrate how that went for them. So they get to be the ones who give the cinematic blow-by-blow description 
and that's how their turn ends. And so the next player then picks up having just heard that really hopefully mm -hmm. cinematic uh, fight scene. Right. Um, and it's mm -hmm. going to be high action or it's going to be super silly or it's going to be, you know, um, incredibly dramatic or whatever it's going to be. Um, my players get the opportunity then because for me running the game, I really don't care what the minutia is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at more macro scenes of does this combat end with victory or failure? And then that splits mm -hmm. our storyline in one direction or another. It doesn't yeah. matter to me if they describe the way that they fight this monster as I blow pepper flakes in their nose and it makes them sneeze and they get distracted so they lose some AC for their next turn or whatever. Or whether it be I use this, you know, magical gauntlet to punch it in the chin or, you know, whoever, whatever it is that they're doing, I don't particularly care. And I also like being surprised when I'm running a game. <laughs> Yeah. So by handing that stuff over to them, I, I get a, uh, there's a few players who are super into it and there's a couple players that are not. And the ones that are not really excited by narrating will just give a brief description. They'll either read what the spell description mm -hmm. is in the book, or they will just give a quick, like one or two sentence of, I swing my sword at it and I connect. Great. Okay. That's good enough for me. No problem. We'll move on. That's, that's my like, next add tip is as a dm i always have my players read the spell description every single time oh yeah yeah okay uh, if they're casting a spell they read the spell description nice. but to the point of the quiet players i found that they are normally players who are hyper interested in one topic in the game ah, interesting i have one player who is very interested in flirting <laughs> hammocks and collecting pets sure great I... <laughs> uh so so if if i want to engage that character i just have to throw like a cute mouse into the yeah. trail and like she can have her scene for you know uh, that that week you know yeah yeah or one of my other players who's extremely quiet they're quiet because combat is what they're they are all about yeah uh she She's like, like I, I'm okay with the RP stuff, you know, I'm I'm interested in that, you know, but I don't want to engage with that. Where I want to engage with the, the fantasy of being eight foot tall and swinging a big hammer. <laughs> nice. And so, you know, oh, her her entire story arc has been, you know, about her getting bigger and more powerful <laughs> hammers to swing at things. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's a great note. Um, if you're a new player and you're concerned that, you know, there's things, there are parts of the game that you're not really engaging with or that you perhaps you're afraid you won't find them as interesting. That's totally fine. That's normal. Yeah, that, that's completely normal. Super normal. Just talk to your GM about it. Let them know where you're coming from. And I love it when my players come to me and say things like where they're struggling or, or where they prefer to spend their time. Cause then I'm not wasting my time designing stuff that they're not interested in. Right. Like I'm way more interested in playing a game where everyone's having a fun time at the table rather than indulging in whatever story it is. Right. Like I can read a novel and satisfy that, that part of myself. I'm interested in us getting together, having a good time at the table and everybody going home having laughed a lot and smiled and had a good time. Yeah. 
that that's that's really why I run games is to engage a group of friends, you mm-hmm. know, in a in an activity, you know. Yeah. It's not necessarily the story part that like I care so much about. Like I might my players are like, oh, we ruined Jack's story. Yeah. You know, oh, and I'm like, <laughs> little do you know, that story was meant to be ruined. <laughs> yeah, that's another good part is uh, this fear of ruining it. My players yeah. will often go left when I've planned for them to go right. And that's okay. That, like, like I said early on, um, I, I use the term sandbox. Uh, I'm a sandbox GM rather than a railroad D- GM. Um, and for those who don't know, it means that I prefer running a game that the players have a lot more autonomy playing in. Uh, it's more of a real world, open world setting rather than something that's what we call railroading or on the rails, which is I've set up all of these plot points that you have to hit exactly in this order to get things done. I will often create a scenario that I don't know how you're going to solve. That's not my job. I'm not. A, I'm. Not, <laughs> I'm not interested in creating the puzzle and the solution for the puzzle all the time. Sometimes I want to see how you're going to solve the puzzle, and then in the conversation, in in the game during the game, someone will throw out an idea, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's run with that. You know, that's that's how I design most of my puzzles. Is I have no idea how the players are going to solve it. Yeah, and normally. Normally, the solve comes about when the players are joking about it out of character, yep. and they say something. I'm like, "Oh, that, there's a solve," <laughs> and then in character, it takes them like several tries before they try it, and they're like, "Ah, oh, how did he know?" It's like, "I don't know. How did he know?" <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, like mystery surrounding how people run games, and mm-hmm. being somebody who runs a game. Uh, I can speak for myself, really. I can't speak for you, but it sounds like we're very similar. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the mystery is just waiting for the players to tell you what they want. Yes. And then giving them that or giving them yeah. something adjacent to that mm-hmm. um, so that it's not just like your wish is my command, but it's like, oh, cool. You want this thing. Let me subvert some expectations here. And then when it does happen, it's even more interesting than it was when you first said it. I do that too, but instead of subverting the player's expectations, I subvert trope expectations. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the difference there being, you know, the the trope of, uh, I don't know, the damsel in distress. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say the goblin stealing the, you know, child or, yeah, or sure. you know, the teenage, you know, girl right. trope. Uh, and then then once the players get there it's like oh no the girl ran away and now she's the queen of the goblins yeah yeah <laughs> she she convinced them to let her join and then yeah has become this great powerful thing uh that's red i might steal that um, <laughs> cool very cool is there anything else that you would like to cover before we sign off here on either conquering the ocean of rules or playing with ADD. I know we kind of went all over the place here, but conquering the ocean of rules, really more work is more work. Less work is less work. Just rely on your fellow gamers. There, there are no hard and fast rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, as, as long as the table's happy, the rules are satisfied. Yeah. Gaming with ADD. Uh, it's intimidating. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, it's it's scary. Um, 
but it comes back to the same point as the previous topic. Just rely on your your players. Your players are probably your friends. They have your back. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too, is that I think there's a fear in trying any new venture that you're going to run into people who like you're going to ruin their time or or they're going to have a hard time because you're stopping to ask questions or you did something wrong or whatever. And there's only so many ways you can tell a new person that that's not going to happen and actually have them believe you, right? Yeah. So for me, I think the biggest takeaway is when you're first starting, play with people you trust, play with people you like and and be open and honest with them about the things you're concerned with. I really want to try this game. I know you guys play this game a lot and I'm intimidated because I don't want to ruin it for you, but I'd really love to sit in and watch or try to play if I can or whatever. I think that's a perfectly reasonable conversation to have. So hopefully that is useful. (laughs) Cool. Okay. So I think that brings us right about to the end of this episode. Um, Thank you, Jack, so much for joining me today. This was really fun. I had a great time. Yes, this this is great. I hope to play in a game of yours one day. Sounds like it's going to be fun. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug before we sign off? I run a Discord community for tabletop RPGs um, called The Wanderer's Rest. Uh, it is open invite to anyone on the internets mm-hmm. who would like to join. And hopefully uh, we can play some games together soon. That sounds awesome. I've not been on any kind of Discord discussion group. What is it like? What what would people expect if they hopped over there? So we have a main group conversation like channel uh, for just people to talk about tabletop stuff in general. And then um, we have a looking for group section, which is just trying to get people into games, getting uh, DM slash GMs and players in line and then this part is on hiatus but it is coming back in march uh for top secret reasons <laughs> uh but uh we were doing community one shots so every week we're running a one shot open invite to anyone on the server Whoa. to join uh it would be like there's only like six or eight spots oh, okay. for this so you know first come first serve sure um but yeah we're doing that every single week for about a year uh, before we stopped. Was it always D&D related or were they one shots in various games? We had it open up to various games. We only ever had um, Wrath and Glory once. Oh, okay. Uh, but typically it's D&D because that's kind of the lang- lingua franca of everyone <laughs> like in the tabletop universe. Yeah, of course. It's the, um, it's the one. <laughs> I like the expression, it is everyone's second favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful yeah uh i think D is definitely a conduit for a lot of people to get into gaming and then yeah i i you'll find something else you'll stumble upon it and it'll just blow your hair back and be like oh my god <laughs> and then the the final aspect of uh of joining the server fresh and new is uh all of the campaign games you can select the viewer tag rule which will give you ability to not interact with the voice chats for the games but listen into the voice chats of the games so it makes like all of the games on the servers kind of like actual plays in a way awesome uh but it's it's not recorded it's just the one time you know sit in there yeah Uh, and there there's a uh a text chat 
that you can text interact with the players nice if, if you want if, if they're paying attention to that channel that's funny um yeah. that's something that came up in in one of my in in the games that i'm running we moved over to roll 20 once the uh pandemic hit um roll 20 is a virtual tabletop that's the one that i use as well yeah and i noticed that my players just instantly started uh, playing in a way that I had, it had never occurred to me to try this, but there's a chat option in, or a chat function in uh, Roll20. And while the main scene is happening, maybe I'm, I'm interfacing with one or two players in the chat, the characters that are physically located in that scene but are not participating they would throw gifts in there of reaction shots they would uh whisper to one another uh like uh you know this character to this character oh my god did you hear what they just said like or or things like that right gossipy kind of things happening in the background and stuff like that which was such a great uh, like brand new open door into what this hobby is it was so much fun that's how um, a lot of us stay engaged in scenes that are very long that we're not in yeah. is we just we just have gifts narrating the actions <laughs> of the scene. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's so great. Um, it, it like adds this secondary layer to everything mm -hmm. that's going on that uh, until I got onto a virtual tabletop, which again, has its pros and cons. Um, this is definitely one of the pros for me was uh, un uh, uh, opening up this other way of engaging in the story. It was really cool. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, send me that info and we'll throw it in the show notes and uh, we'll see if people are interested. Being able to listen in would be just another way uh, of like YouTube or podcasts of being being able to be a spectator without diving in the deep end right away. As usual, if you have any questions or concerns, please send me a message on Twitter at at Finnegan1. That's F-I-O-N-N-E-G-A-N and the numeral one. Or you can always email me at therpgconcierge at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. And head over to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I know the Apple Podcasts, you can do that right from the app or through iTunes. Um, leaving those reviews and ratings really help other people to find the show and it only takes a few seconds to click a rating. So if you have the uh, energy to do that, I'd really appreciate it. Once again, thank you, Jack, for joining me. Uh, I had a great time and uh, I look forward to us being able to play together sometime. Great. Yes. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.